Good morning. morning. Did that just say 11.45 p.m.? So, you know, the rest of you will be sleeping about that time, and, and I'll be here eating. So, you know, whatever. The Bengals might even be in that game. You never know. So, I wasn't calling out for the Bengals, by the way, just so you know that. Last week, we were all focused on DeMar Hamlin, and a player for the Buffalo Bills that went down on the field, cardiac arrest, and they did CPR to keep him alive for several minutes. And, and, and I got to tell you, it was so interesting to watch all that unfold because one of the biggest games of the regular NFL season for this year, you know, a lot of consequences for the outcome of that game. And, and you know, you see what happened there and you see the, the, just the unifying spirit that starts to happen with the Bengals and the Bills and then eventually all the NFL and eventually all of this country. It was really cool to see that. I mean, there were a lot of consequences for that game, right? And the Bengals got the bad end of that deal, right? Oh, somebody can give me a boo-hoo or something on that. You know, yeah, it's the bad, bad end of the deal. You know, you, you got the, the, the raw end there. But, you, you know, there was so much hope just filling this place over the last couple of weeks. People unifying and praying and being together. And, and man, it was a cool thing to experience. And... And we need to be careful. I mean, we need to be careful not to let things out of our control rob us of that hope. Because again, we're focused on hope this year as a church. And what a great way to kick that off last week. Because so much hope. And DeMar's great. He's, he's doing well. He's out of the hospital. He's, he was at the Bills you know, locker room kind of thing happening. And so um, now, now I want to make sure you understand, this is not because I'm a Steeler fan. All right? But... Last week, two Steelers players sacked the quarterback, and they did a CPR celebration, all right? That was completely inappropriate. I mean, it was completely kind of like poor judgment. It's not acceptable. Here's what we need to be careful of. We're so full of hope with everything happening with Hamlin, so full of hope, so unifying, and we let a situation out of our control rob us of that hope. Because we focused on the negative. We focused on something that we didn't agree with, and we went off on that. Don't let other things take us away from the hope that we have. Focus on the hope. Listen, Satan will do anything he can to get hope out of our lives, and that was one thing that he used to perpetuate that, you know, everything is negative now instead of everything is hopeful. Let's continue to pray for Hamlin. Let's continue to pray for the unifying spirit of hope that kind of enveloped this country by that. But don't focus on the negatives because it takes you out of the hope and it puts you into this place where we just currently live, which is negative and nothing is good and nothing is positive. Focus on the hope that's there. Now, we started walking through this book by Craig Groeschel last week called Divine Direction. Incredible book. If you haven't read it and you're making some decisions, read it. That's what this teaching series is about. Now, if you've got somebody graduating high school or college, give it as a gift. It's one of those books that can make an impact and a difference on somebody's life. I mean, most of us are struggling to make important decisions in our lives. We all have important decisions. Do I take this job or stay where I'm at? 
Which house do I buy? Is now the right time to buy, the right time to sell, the right time to move? Uh, which, which school do I go to? Which, which person should I marry? Do I stay with my spouse after my marriage has been destroyed? Which football team, basketball team, soccer team do I root for? Some of you think I've made a bad decision rooting for the team that I root for, which are the Steelers in case you're a guest here, all right? Now, we all have decisions, and most of us aren't very good decision makers. Now, as a pastor, I get asked this question a lot. What is God's will for this specific situation in my life? What is it? What does God want me to do? And when I tell them it's not so much about where you work or where you live as it is about who you are, people tend to not like that too much, right? It's like, no, 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 that's not what I ask you. I ask you, do I turn right or do I turn left? Well, it might be a good idea to turn right, or it might be a good idea to turn left. Just don't stay where you are. Don't stay stuck in indecision. Make a decision. God's got something special down this road for you. It's all about how you're living your life, but he might have something equally special down this road for you. It's how are you living your life when you're in the middle of those moments. And so people go, I don't like that. So I'm going to go, I don't know, the universe. I'm going to turn to the universe. I have some friends that do this. The universe will answer my questions. The universe will decide what's good for me. The universe will provide. I'm going, the universe isn't giving you that first parking space at Kroger, all right? That, that's not what it was, but that's what they're turning to. Or we're going to turn to tarot cards because maybe I can get an answer or horoscopes. Or maybe you turn to your, your, your friends at the bar that are a little too far past tipsy to give a good answer, but you're relying that. Or maybe for you, you're going with the magic eight ball, right? Uh, I mean, anybody ever use one of these to answer a, a question that you have? You know, somebody, do you have a question right now that you're trying to find an answer to? You're trying to determine. What is that? Anybody, tell me one. Are the Bengals going to the Super Bowl? All right, let, let me just, let me shake this up just a little bit here. Here it is. Better not tell you now. <laughs> Magic eight ball, it's determined. I better not tell you, right? Somebody else, give me another question that you're dealing with right now. Will, will the Bengals win today? As I see it, yes. I tell you, these magic eight balls aren't good for anything, are they? <laughs> you know, you start looking at these things, you're going, give me an answer, give me an answer, give me an answer. I dropped this at the nine o'clock service and almost flew off the stage. So I'm going to set it back here. Anyway, you look at all that stuff and you're going, what does it really mean? I mean, is that really an answer? Does it really help you? Does it really support you? Does it really guide you? I, I mean, it could say anything. Uh, better not, you know, cannot predict it now. Outlook not so good. Very doubtful. The decisions that we make today, today, they determine who we become tomorrow. So we have to figure out where to get the advice and how to make those decisions today because tomorrow's coming. All right, you need to know that. Here's, here's how it works. We make our decisions, and then our decisions make us. That's the reality of this. So take a look at who you are today, because you are a result today of the decisions that you made in the past. 
Now, our parents help with that. Our friends help with that. But what we decide today will determine who and what we become tomorrow. That's just the reality. Now, the big challenge for most of us is that, again, we're not great decision makers. And why? Why can't we make decisions? Now, I know there are some of you that make everyone's decisions, okay? I get that. There are personality differences. You're, gonna, you're going here, you're doing this, you're going to do that, and they make the decisions for you. I, I get that. But most of us, we're just not good decision makers. Groeschel writes about the, some problems that we're facing today with decision making that we haven't had to face in the past in the book, Divine Direction. He says we have too many choices. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week. Too many choices. Too many cell phone choices. You know, do, well, you got, you know, three, basically. Do you have Samsung? Do you do iPhone? Do you do the Google phone? You know, wh- wh- which one do you do? Well, most of you, it's just the iPhone. All right? None of, none of the other ones come into play for, for a lot of us. But some of us are a little behind the times and use other ones. Anyway, so you have decisions and choices, but you also have to figure out which carrier to use. Do you use this carrier? Is it cheaper than that carrier? Is it a better family plan? Do you get better minutes and better online stuff and better perks with this plan? Have you got 16 choices to make with those? So which one are you going to choose? There are too many choices. Now, there are so many options today, it really does make it difficult to make a choice, right? And then we come into this, so many options, I mean, just so many options. We, we talked last week about, uh, about the options that kind of go into things and, and how you can, you know, when you leave high school, you can, I had the choice, do I go here, here, or here? Do I go to the military? Do I go work in the mills? Or do I go to college? And that seemed to be a cliffhanger because those were my choices when I graduated high school. And my dad was nice enough to say, if you go to one year of Bible college, I'll pay for all of your education. And so spent a year at Cincinnati Bible College, went three years, West Virginia University, came back and, uh, and finished up at Cincinnati Bible College. But you look at those and you're going, those were choices that had to be made. Now, there were multiple things I could have decided, but those are the choices that I had to make. And here's one of the problems, not just too many choices, but we have this illusion of perfection that's out there, right? We're a generation that gets glimpses into people's lives with all the social media. And some people are really good at making their social media lives look perfect, you know, they look perfect. And we feel like our lives, well, we can never live up to that. We have all kinds of issues and all kinds of problems. I, I could never be that. Don't, don't, don't miss this. What you see on social media is not reality. All right? Because here's the deal. You're in the middle of a big-time fight with your spouse. And all of a sudden, she says, smile, let's take a selfie. And so you take a selfie. But you don't take just one selfie. You take five, six, seven selfies so that they can look at the picture they like the best, that they look the best in, that you're both smiling in, and then it's not just done there. Because then you have to edit the picture that was taken of the many pictures that were taken to be able to post on social media. This is not personal experience, by the way. I'm just (laughs) laying this out there. And it looks perfect. It looks like you're happy. It looks like you never fight. It looks like things are going so well. And you just got done with a knockdown, drag out fight. You know, you're mad at each other. But you have a pretty smile. And it looks so good on social media. 
Now, now every, everything that happens like that, we need to understand we want a perfect life. And we have this illusion of perfection. But people only put on Facebook and other, other social media what they want you to see. They don't put the down and out dirty fighting that's going, well, some of you do. All right, that's, that's a whole different issue. They don't, they don't put that stuff on there. They put the positive stuff on there. They only put what, what they want you to see. And, and when you look at that, um, so many times we don't want to make the imperfect decision to look bad to our friends, our family, the fake Facebook friends that we have. We don't want to look bad to them. So we make this imperfect decision. I don't want to look worse than someone else. And so either I just won't make a decision or I won't post anything. And we do that with everything in our lives. Another reason why people struggle with making decisions is that we have overprogrammed our lives. You realize that, right? For example, those of you that are similar to my age, I'm 56. When we were growing up, we had nothing like we have today to keep our attention, right? I mean, we didn't have iPads to give to a crying baby to allow them to watch a TV show in the middle of Kroger so they don't cry. We had rocks. All right, it was, here, play with the rock, you'll, you'll be happy. You know, I mean, that, that's just kind of how it was. We didn't have cell phones to hypnotize us. We didn't have video games. Well, when I was little, we had Pong, if you know what that is, you know. Still kind of a cool game, not really, never was. But, you know, we had that. When I got to high school, we had Galaga and Galaxia. I still don't know the difference between the two. They're almost the same game. Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, Centipede, Frogger, Asteroids. We had all those by the time I got to high school. A lot of choices. But when I got up to eat my cereal and watch cartoons on Saturday morning, we had three TV channels. And I had to get up from my bowl of cereal on the floor to walk to the TV to change. I know you don't know what these are. They were dials on a TV set. You had to click them, all right? I had to change those by hand. I, I mean, that's just, that's just crazy. We didn't have remote controls. And until I was in high school, we couldn't record a show. We didn't have VCRs. Some of you are going, I don't know what a VCR is. And so we didn't know either until I was in high school. And even then, we didn't know how to set the clocks on them. I think ours stood the same time until I graduated college. <laughs> I mean, it's one of these things where if you missed a show, you missed a show. You never got to see it again. That, that's the way it worked. I remember every time Wizard of Oz came on, it was a Sunday night. Thank you, wonderful world of Disney. You know, Sunday night where I had to be at church and I wanted to watch The Wizard of Oz, but I couldn't because it was only on once a year. I think I was college age before I got to see that show. <laughs> I mean, you, you look at those things and, and the lack of decisions that's, uh, that, that, that we had back then. And, and, and when you look at the choices, our parents, my parents, specifically my mom, would say to me, just go outside and play, would you? She got so sick of me being inside causing problems, just get out of the house. Go play. Now, what that meant to me, and maybe it's a cool idea that we need to bring back, just go outside and play, quit staying in the room playing video games, whatever. Maybe we need to bring that back. But what that meant for me is that I had to decide what I was going to play outside. I had to decide who I was going to play with because they're not online going, I'm going to play a game with them and them. They're out there as well going, well, where can I find Chris or Tommy or John? You know, because they weren't just right there. 
And what am I going to play? I don't know. Let's climb this hill. And, and I tell you what, I'll try to push you off and you try to push me off. And, and yeah, everything is legal. So if I hit you in the head with a rock, as long as I push you off the hill, I've made a decision. Let's call it king of the hill. Let's just make this choice to, to, to do this. We had to make decisions because it wasn't already programmed for us. It just wasn't. Now, my generation, as parents, we've taken that away. We've overprogrammed our kids. And here's what we say to our kids. You're going to play soccer. I'm going to pick you up from school. I'm going to run you through Chick-fil-A for dinner. And then you'll practice. And then we go home and you're going to do your homework. It's already programmed. I mean, that's just kind of the way it works. Now, what researchers are saying is that we have told them what to do, but we've never given our kids the ability or the freedom to decide. We've just programmed it for them. No choices made. And they haven't really developed what I I love this term, a decision-making muscle. They haven't developed a decision-making muscle. And now a lot of people battle with indecisiveness because they've never had to make a decision before. And that's our fault as parents, my age parents. That's our fault. We never gave them the freedom to make the decisions. Now, there was an article in Forbes magazine about something that's called career paralysis. And uh, the generation in their late 20s is so afraid to make a mistake, this article says, in their career that they don't do anything. I thought that's interesting. So you research that a little bit more, and here's, here's what I found out. I was raised by parents who were children of the Depression-era parents. If you don't know what the Depression was, do a little history, you'll figure out there was nothing, right? No jobs, no food, no money, uh, nothing there. So um, my parents were children of Depression-era parents, and they told our parents, get a job. doesn't matter what job it is, just get a job because you've got to survive, Right, so, so you get any job you can. And then my parents, they say to us, my generation, they say, get an education so that you can get a good job. That's what they wanted for us. You know, that, that, that's what, what kind of happened. And I, again, I was fortunate because my dad said, one year of Bible college, I'll pay for everything. He wasn't wealthy. He had a decent job, but that was his, his goal for me, this, to get a good education so I could get a good job. I said, deal. And so you look at that era of things, and, and basically, if you could get a, get a good education, you did. If you couldn't, a little bit disappointed, but it was really get a good education, get a job, and then just live your life, right? Now, here's what happened. A lot of people my age, if you're late 40s through 60s, we got a job, all right? We, we got maybe a good job, but how many of you actually like your job. Anybody love their jobs? Some of you do. Yeah. Yeah. Would you do something else if you could? I think a lot of our culture, our age of our culture would say, yeah, in a heartbeat. You know, I I make money so I can't quit my job because I can't find another job to make the same money that I'm making now, but I would love to be in a different job, right? And because we don't love our jobs, here's what we say to our kids. Here's what you need to look for when you're looking for a job. It's got to be something that you love. It's got to be something that makes a difference. 
and it's going to be something that makes a heck of a lot of money. All right? That's what we tell our kids. Why? Because that's where we are in our, in our system, in our thought process. Let me just ask you. Would you have taken the job that you're in now if those rules had applied to you? Something that makes a difference, something that you love, and something that makes a lot of money. You have to meet all three of those criteria. Would you be in that same job now if those rules applied to you? I don't know. I look at my life and I go, eh. I'm not sure I would have taken this job at Community Church almost 30 years ago if those rules had applied to me. Why? Because I left a good-paying job to have to raise my own salary to come here? Beg, borrow, borrow, steal. No, I didn't steal, but I begged and borrowed a lot you know, to be able to raise a salary to come here. I wasn't going to make a lot of money here. I, 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 it may or may not have been something I was going to love but I felt called because I was going to make a difference here. And so that was my criteria for myself, but it wasn't what my criteria is for my kids. And when our kids can't find all three of those things, what do they do? A lot of them get paralyzed because they don't want to make a decision to settle for less than the best. And so they struggle to do anything. Now understand, that's our fault as parents. That's the FOMO stuff, the fear of missing out that happens that we've instilled in our kids. Our kids are saying, I want the very best, and I'm afraid if I take that job, I'm going to have to say no to this opportunity and that opportunity and that opportunity, and my fear of missing out on something keeps me stuck. Friends, we have to be able to make decisions, and our kids have to be able to make decisions, and their kids have to be able to make decisions. And the very first place to start is all about who you are, not about what you're going to do. It's about who you are. Because who you are is so much more important than what you do. Remember Jesus' goal for our life, if we were here last week, you know what his goal for our life is? Is that we're holy. It's not that you work here or work there or live there or live there or drive that or drive this. It's that you're holy. That's God's will for your life. That's God's direction for your life, that you're loving God and loving people. Not about what you do. It's about who you are. You're going, okay, Scott, well, how do I get there? Well, you've got to start by asking for some wisdom. The whole book of James says if you ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to you. But it's more than just a quick asking of God. It's spending time with God, daily time with God, intimate conversations with God. Walk with the wise, and your decisions will be easier. But we have to make a decision. I was watching The Karate Kid the other day. I know, oh, Stafford's watching a lot of TV, aren't we? Uh, Mr. Miyagi, I was watching The Karate Kid. Mr. Miyagi said this, walk on right side safe, walk on left side safe, walk in middle Sooner or later, get squished like a grape. I loved how he said it, squished like a grape. If you're not going to make a decision, your life is going to implode on you. You've got to make a decision where to walk. Now, how do we become more decisive? How do we get divine direction? Well, it's all about trusting God's process, because there is a process for us. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Paul is in a place where he loves. It's the city of Ephesus, but he's being pulled 
towards the city of Jerusalem. He doesn't want to go there, but he feels like that's where God wants him to go, so he's going to take the step of faith. Here's what it says. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However I consider my life worth nothing to me, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now there's an important key in this scripture to help us make decisions, all right, to give us directions. And it's something you're going to see over and over and over again as you read through the Bible. If you're a Christ follower, here's, here it is, really. It's the Spirit's prompting. All right, the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you. The Greek word translated compelled by the Spirit are the words dio ho numa. All right, that's how it's, I know, doesn't mean anything, right? Dio means to wrap. So, so like something is wrapped around you, it's like a cord and it's pulling you, like a leash that's pulling you in a direction. Numa is spirit. So you're being pulled by the spirit. Ho is I don't have any idea. Couldn't find anything on it, so I don't know. Just being honest, there you go. Whatever, any Greek scholars in here, please come and inform me on that. All right? So I don't know what ho means, but I don't know what a lot of things mean. Anyway, deo ho numa is the cord that's pulling you. And Paul's saying, I love where I'm at, but I'm being pulled in a different direction. Have you ever felt pulled in a different direction? Zach, my youngest son, and I were coming back from Columbus this week, and we stopped at a truck stop. I needed to stretch my legs, and, and as soon as I hit the door, here's what I smelled. Cinnabon and Auntie Anne's pretzels <laughs> being freshly made. Zach went to the bathroom. I was pulled in a different direction. He comes out of the bathroom, and I'm in line to get Cinnabon. He's going, what are you doing? I said, I just, I just ended up here. I don't know why I'm here, but, but I'm here. And so, and, and so I got Cinnabon and 8 a.m. pretzels. And I wanted to go back to the car, but I just, anyway, that's where I ended up, was pulled in that direction. Now, during your lifetime, don't miss those diahomnuma moments. It could be something really big. Okay, God, where are you leading me? And we're trying to figure that out, right? God, is there a specific path? Go right, go left. Just follow God where you go, right? And so it could be something small like you're out in the yard and your neighbor needs some help in their yard and you're feeling God just going, hey, get off your butt and go help them. You know, go go help them mow the grass. Go help them rake their leaves. Why, Why don't you make some cookies for them? You know, just do something, for somebody around you. The Spirit is pulling you in a direction. Now, don't miss those moments because those are important moments from God for you. Just to say, follow me. Be more like me. Do what I would do in this situation. There's a great book by Mark Batterson called Whisper, How to Hear the Voice of God. And it's based on Elijah's life where God tells him to go into a cave and God will show up and meet him there. And so he goes into this cave, and there's a mighty wind, but God wasn't in the wind. And there's a huge fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And there was a huge earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a gentle whisper, and God was in the whisper. It's all about listening whenever God shows up, right? Sometimes we need to find a way to listen. Now, 
the first thought in God's process is the Spirit's prompting. The second part of God's process is certain uncertainty. I know that sounds a little strange, doesn't it? Certain uncertainty. Paul says this, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. When we are in the middle of one of those Deo Homnuma moments, we're being pulled by God. Here's what I want. I want the details. God, 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 tell me, where, what, where is this taking me? What, what's happening to me here? Tell me, tell me, tell me. I want the details. It's like the old, the old movie, A Few Good Men, Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise. You know, he's saying, you want the truth. He's saying, you can't handle the truth. I think sometimes we say, God, I want details. And God says, you can't handle the details. You just can't handle them. If God would have shown me the details of what it would be like, maybe in your current job, you might not have gone there. Your faith may not have been ready for that. It's the same with everyone in the Bible. You look at Joseph's life and Mary's life and Peter's life and Elijah's life. He didn't give them any details. If you want details, here are the promises of God. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. It's a lamp. It's going to guide our feet. We say, God, I want to know steps four, five, and six. And God says, I'm not going to show you steps four, five, and six until you take step one, and then step two, and then step three. I want to plan for my life. I want to know what I'm called to do, but I don't understand the details. Show me the details. And God's going, I'm going to show you the next step. That's what a light does. It may not light up your entire path, but it's going to light up enough for you to take one more step. Here's the certainty of God. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he will guide you step by step if you allow him. Here's the third part of God's process. It's predictable resistance. The truth is the enemy is out there. We don't like to say that. We don't like to think about that. We don't like to talk about that. But if you want to listen to somebody tell you that if you follow Jesus, your life is going to be easy, they're lying to you. Because if you follow Jesus, the spiritual warfare starts. There's a battle that's getting ready to come your way. It's not about life being easy. It's about having somebody walk with you through the difficult times. Paul says this in Acts 20. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Everything that has happened here at Community Church in the 29 years, almost 30 I've been here, has been met with resistance. Everything. I remember a year that was an incredible year for us as a church. We celebrated 100 new members that year. That was massive. It still is massive. 100 new members in a year. Guess what happened? Three of our elders, those are the spiritual overseers of this church, three of our elders, their wives had affairs and left them. Three. Have anything to do with community church? I think probably so because we were making an impact. We were doing something great for the kingdom and so our enemy did some work to destroy because once you destroy the family, you destroy the person and their influence spiritually. And you saw that happen here. Friends, if you're not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, then just keep doing nothing, and your life will never 
go a direction that you want it to. Sometimes we go through things and things get tough and we think, well, that's not God's will for my life. Why? Just because things got tough doesn't mean it's not God's will or purpose for your life. It means that you're being prepared for what happens later on in your life. Whenever the enemy attacks you, it's this resistance because you're doing something against him. Sometimes resistance is a sign that you're doing exactly what God wants you to do and you're going exactly where God wants you to go. Just be the best Christ follower you can be in the middle of that. The struggle that you're having today is developing the spiritual strength that you need for tomorrow. So we have to trust God's process. And don't forget this, who you are at work is the most important thing that you can do for your work. Who you are in your neighborhood is the most important thing that you can do for whatever house that you choose to live in. Who you are, and again, as a teacher, as a doctor, as a lawyer, as a trash collector, as a mechanic, who you are when you're at work is more important than what you're doing for work, and God's going, let's develop you along this path. Let's develop who you are, because then once you start to develop who you are, you can be the light for somebody else's next step. You can be what God wants you to be, developing who you are exactly where you are. Instead of just saying, God, what do you want me to do in the future? You need to shift that. And this is the last thing we're going to say. Shift the question of what do you want me to do in the future to who do you want me to become in the present? Who? Who do I need to be? Do I need to be more loving? Do I need to be less angry? Do I need to be more giving? Do I need to be more forgiving? Do I need to look at things in a different light? Who does God want you to be right now, right where you are? Because that's the only direction that you need. Because it changes your future. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for everyone in this room and everyone watching online. God, may you open up their minds to shifting their thought process. Not where do you want me to go or what do you want me to do, but who do you want me to become? God, let's keep that in our focus. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.